He is lined up and ready to go. It's the wonderful Tom Stewart from Keynes Garden Centre. Tom, how are you? Very good, and good morning to you, Alan. Uh, morning to you too, and uh, thanks very much for being with us as ever on a Monday for In the Garden. Uh, remember, there are two vouchers, each worth €30 euro for Keynes Garden Centre, up for grabs. So send in your gardening questions as soon as you can. And uh, even if you don't win one of those vouchers, you're going to get a gardening pearl of wisdom from Tom. Uh, so send those questions in on 86 1800 964. Please do include your name and where you're from as well. But there's plenty to get through before we get to the listeners' questions. And Tom, this week's topic that you want to chat about is in relation to growing camellias. And for our listeners, you have an easy guide to growing these fabulous winter and spring flowering shrubs. Yeah, indeed. Uh, thank you, Alan. And they're a nice, there's something bright and cheerful for all the wild weather we've had it late. So, um, yeah, certainly it's a nice topic to be talking about. And just in brief, um, just on some of the previous winners of the vouchers, we have vouchers here that are due for collection in the garden centre. So if you have been a previous winner, your vouchers are here up in, up in their office. So if you're if you're calling in, just make yourself known and um, you can pick up your vouchers. But back to the camellias. So camellias, they're, a lot of the listeners will be familiar with them. They're an attractive evergreen range of shrubs that produ- produce beautiful large flowers during late winter and early spring. Camellias were first cultivated in the gardens of China and Japan for centuries before they were ever seen in Europe. The um, the leaves and buds that are used for making tea come from a variety of camellia, uh, Camellia sinensis. Then other types include medicinal, anti-inflammatory, sometimes used for hair care products and a type of cooking oil used by millions of people in parts of China. So it's a, it's a fairly versatile plant. In this part of the world, we're happy to grow them for their ornamental value, particularly the flowers, which are sometimes mistaken for roses. They have that nice kind of size to them and that appearance. And they come in range of colours from shades of white, pink and red, some with double flowers and some with single flowers. And they offer a great show of colour for that time of the year. Um, when you might not have lots of shrubs in flower. They also have the advantage of being evergreen and their glossy green foliage looks good um, uh, all year round. Uh, So whichever variety of camellia you choose, you'll need to get the soil conditions right. So camellias need to grow in acidic soil. So that's soil that has a low pH level. And if you don't have that type of soil in your garden, and many of us don't, you can use what's called ericaceous compost or even some leaf mould if you have some. So we've mentioned that before. And there's loads of varieties that are happy growing in pots or containers using the ericaceous or the acidic compost. Uh, And it's widely available in garden centres and it's no more expensive than regular multipurpose it just has a more of a, an acidic makeup and more suited to those type of plants. So when choosing a location, camellias prefer an area that is in dappled shade or even partial shade. Uh, they are a woodland plant and aren't too happy in a very sunny position. So direct sunlight in the morning can dry out the flower buds a little bit too quickly uh, as they are developing. So somewhere that gets morning shade is best suited to their needs. And maybe choose a spot that's um, sheltered from strong winds, somewhere not too exposed. When you're ready for planting and, and you plan on using a pot or a container, uh, which should be at least 12 or 14 inches, probably even bigger again, depending on the size of the plant you're starting with. Uh, first, give your camellia good watering in its original pot. Maybe if you have access to rainwater, uh, you could use rainwater, giving the roots a good soaking and allowing it to drain away. Uh, make sure there's plenty of holes in the bottom of your pot and add stones or broken crockery or something to help improve the drainage. Fill your pot about two thirds full with your ericaceous compost, leaving enough room for your camellia. Then position the, the plant in the middle of the pot with the top of its root ball about two inches below the rim of the pot. 
then you can fill in around the roots with your compost and push it down with your fingers just to um, fill up any air pockets, give it a good watering and allow it to drain. Uh, camellias are somewhat slow growing, so shouldn't need to be repotted anytime too soon, but do keep an eye out on them and don't allow them to become pot bound. When you're watering them, use rainwater if you can, as we mentioned earlier. This is particularly important in areas where there's lots of lime in the water. Uh, it's important to keep camellias well watered in summer. Uh, and sometimes we might forget about that because they're not in flower, uh, particularly between July and September, as this is when they're, the uh, next year's flower buds are formed. So use top, tap water if needed, but whatever you do, keep them moist uh, late summer, early autumn, just to um, guarantee the flowers for next year. They aren't a particularly hungry plant, but an ericaceous feed, either in a liquid format or granules, will keep them healthy and maintain a nice glossy green leaf, but avoid feeding them too much during the summer. A good bark mulch or mulch of compost is also beneficial around the base. They're a hardy plant, but sometimes severe frost or snow can damage the leaves a little bit and leave them looking a little bit unsightly. So perhaps wrapping them in some garden fleece during prolonged or very cold weather, or if it's practical to bring them inside for a short bit during the very cold spells, uh, that might be an option you could consider. A few great varieties to look out for. Uh, Camellia japonica, Dr. King is a nice one. It's large, semi-double rose red flowers and, and a nice gold centre that helps it stand out. Uh, usually flowering in spring between March and May. Then there's Lady Campbell or Camellia Lady Campbell, a good hardy and vigorous Camellia with bright red double flowers and a compact uh, compact growing to just about, we'll say two and a half metres for mature size, making it a good choice for gardens of all sizes and growing in containers as well. Uh, another Camellia, Mary Williams, is an excellent flowering Camellia with large single pink flowers, perfect for woodland gardens and containers. So with camellias, there's very little in the way of maintenance, no need to prune them. Uh, you can deadhead faded flowers to keep them tidy. Uh, and as mentioned earlier, don't allow them to dry out, especially in late summer. Uh, they also make, I think, a, a wonderful gift for any occasion, particularly from now on to, to late spring when they're either in bud or in flower and, and looking really, really good. Sometimes we we um, use them as a, a gift for Mother's Day. They're, they're quite, um, the timing of them suits Mother's Day quite well. Okay, brilliant stuff. Tom, uh, before we get to the listeners' questions, though, you have a few jobs for them for the week ahead. Yeah, certainly. Thanks, Alan. So I suppose after those strong winds, maybe have a look to check stakes and tree ties to make sure that they haven't shifted too much and maybe make a plan to realign them where appropriate. Obviously, prioritise your own safety before taking on any gardening jobs. Um, the likes of onion sets and shallots and garlic, they're all available to buy at this time of the year. Maybe pick up, uh, pick up your favourite varieties or maybe even try a few uh, new varieties. So that's one to consider. And then I suppose we're getting into late January, so spring is soon approaching. So you could consider digging in some farmyard manure into beds just to help condition and enrich your soil. Um, you'll see plenty of those uh, on offering garden centres. Um, you can plant up some potted bulbs. So if you've missed out on planting bulbs in the autumn, the likes of uh, snowdrops, crocus and daffodils and tulips, they're available in small pots, perfect for planting now and they'll soon be coming into colour. And if you have a greenhouse or a polytunnel, you could consider using a fumigator or what we call a smoke bomb to clean out those areas from any kind of overwintering or unwelcome insect pests uh, before you start planting up for the season. So uh, greenhouse fumigators or smoke bombs could be a, a handy tool for um, someone who has a glass house or a Okay, some uh, jobs there for you to get stuck into uh, for the week ahead. Now let's get to the listeners' questions and still time to send them in. Uh, 086 is the text and WhatsApp number. Just please do include your name and where you are from. And the first one comes courtesy of Martin in Kilkee 
who is uh, asking about uh, grass and particularly uh, reasons why grass mightn't grow well uh, seems to be an issue with the grass in his garden and how he can help the grass growth. Uh, good morning to you, Martin. Yeah, and grass, I suppose it, it can be an issue in, in, in different regards and in different areas. I suppose one thing, um, and and I usually relate this a lot to customers in the shop, um, a lot of us would be guilty or would, would, would say do a lot of treatments in March or April in spring times and then ignore the lawn for the rest of the year. So I suppose to get a, a successful and a well-growing lawn or, or grass to, to, to look well, it's probably you know, at least four treatments throughout the year. So not just uh, in spring, you want to treat it um, spring, maybe a couple of times during the summer and in autumn as well. So certainly throughout the year, regular um, a, a kind of a, a plan for your for your lawn care would be quite good. Sometimes grass won't grow very well if it's particularly shaded or if the ground is particularly um, compacted or if it has become waterlogged and stuff like that. So sometimes the underlying soil conditions might not suit if it is a very shaded area or very compacted area, like there are some grass seeds that will do better in shaded area and you'll see those in garden centres. So you could look at something like that. If it's a persistent problem, maybe it's it might be worth considering that you don't grow grass in an area where it's, where it's constantly um, struggling. Now, I'd say I would consider that after you've tried regular feeding and aerating and, and, um, uh, and tackling any underlying problems. And if you've done that and it's still not successful, by all means, maybe consider not growing grass there. But I'd say, Martin, if it's not growing well, as I said, three or four times during the year, you should be feeding it. Um, maybe spiking it or aerating it and scarifying it could be considered. Um, and if there's a lot of shade, maybe consider throwing down some of the grass seed that does better in shaded areas. So hopefully that might see your, your grass doing a, a little bit better and improving as time comes on. Okay, there you go, Martin, and uh, best of luck to you and your grass. Uh, interesting one in here from Teresa McDermott, who's listening to the show in Doombeg. How are you, Teresa? Uh, Teresa says, Tom, that she got a bonsai tree as a Christmas present, but I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing for it. Have you any tips? I suspect, Teresa, you're not alone in that, so I'll, I'll also be interested to hear what you can do to keep a bonsai tree healthy. Tom? Yeah, good morning, Teresa. And, and uh, a lovely gift to get. I love the bonsais myself. I think they're, they're class. They look really nice. Now, there are some outdoor hardy varieties, but most of the varieties that are gifted um, or that we've come across are, are for indoors. So there is a chance yours is a hardy outdoor variety, but most of them are, are designed for indoor keeping. Um, generally, I suppose you just want to make sure that they're not allowed to dry out completely. Sometimes it's best to bring it um, and sit it in the sink for um, a few minutes, a sink full of, of water and allow it to drain on, on the draining board at the, at the side of the sink if that's your setup. Um, so one thing is, yeah, just make sure it doesn't dry out. Usually it likes to be in a, in a bright location. So maybe on a, on a kitchen windowsill or something like that is ideal. Um there's not really a whole lot like it'll put on a little bit of growth and you can kind of clip back some of those twigs and branches just to maintain the shape but there's not a whole lot you need to do apart from really just making sure um, that it doesn't dry out you can give it a small amount of feed you can get particular bonsai feeds but you can even use something like um, a baby bio or something like that um, and a small amount of feed during the growing season just to keep it healthy but um, the correct watering is the main thing Teresa that you don't allow it to dry out but certainly you don't allow it to sit in water for too long either but after that I think they're a, they're a great thing to have and they're, they're, a, they're a bit of a fun plant to have too so I'd say best of luck with it and, and hopefully it, it gives you uh, a long time and years of, of uh, admiration and pleasure with it fingers crossed 
Okay, Teresa, best of luck. Hope you have a thriving bonsai for many years to come. Uh, now, we uh, do ask you to text or WhatsApp us uh, on 086 964, but that, of course, also includes sending us uh, a voice note. And uh, here is a question for Tom via voice note. This one comes from Marie Tom. So uh, let's hear Marie's question. Good morning. Um, I have a camellia tree here and every year beautiful flowers come out in it and um, within a week or two weeks they're all brown spots and they start to fall off. Just wondering what is the problem? My name is Marie. Thank you very much. There you go. So Marie gets a short bit of joy from her camellias followed by that disappointment, Tom. What's going on and how can she um, deal with it? Yeah, good morning, Marie, and, and, and thanks for your question. And nice to hear it on a voice note. And again, I suppose you, you timed it well because our, our topic um, this morning was camellias. So sometimes some camellias do pick up um, it's kind of fungal diseases. So perhaps have a look at the location that it's not... Um, it's not kind of it's somewhere where there's not good air movement, where it's too confined. So a little bit of good air movement around it can prevent that. It also could be a little bit of a sign of just lacking in some nutrients that it requires. So I'd have a look at the foliage. You should be looking at kind of dark green, kind of glossy, shiny leaves. And if they're not that, along with the flowers um, falling off a little bit premature, could be it could be a little bit of sign of lacking in, in certain nutrients. So as I said earlier, maybe an aracaceous uh, feed in either granular or um, liquid form is is probably uh, worth considering, and and the other stuff we mentioned like uh, a top mulch or uh, mulching with um, some bark or even some ericaceous compost every year is also good. The important thing as well that we mentioned um, earlier was making sure it gets well watered in late summer just to ensure those buds develop correctly. But I have a feeling, Marie, in, in your circumstance, it might be just that it's it's lacking some nutrients and perhaps. Um, an application of some liquid or granulated feed. So the liquid feed is good. It gets in quite quickly, but it does wash away. So you need to use a little bit more often. The granules are also quite good. Um, they're a little bit slower to react, but um, they last a bit longer. So it's kind of six of one, half a dozen of another in regards of liquid or granules. But I'd say if you look out for an ericaceous feed, Marie, that hopefully would, would see them do a bit better for you. Okay, all the Maries are getting in touch today. Uh, all the Marie's are getting in touch today Tom uh, this one is uh, Marie in Ennis who's asking how do you sow sweet potato sweet potato yeah good, good morning to Marie um, normally the sweet potato you can buy them as small little plants I know um, towards I think it's late April or May we'd have them in small little pots little 10 centimetre pots um, and they need to be grown in a polytunnel or a glass house so I think I, 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 you don't tend to see them as a as a seed potato the way you would the other regular varieties not that I've come across but I have seen the the small little plants that have been started off um, they do as I said need a polytunnel or a glass house so certainly worth growing lovely lovely um, uh, vegetable to use in, in, in lots of different ways but um, yeah polytunnel or glass house Marie and in my own experience I've just seen them as small little um, um, plants that have been started off so certainly worth looking out for as I said if memory serves me correct it's probably late April early May when you'll see those plants available Okay, our next question comes courtesy of Sean in West Clare. He says, Hi Tom, I've half an acre of an unused field in a corner at the back of my house and was thinking of turning it into a flower area for wildlife garden. When is the best time to start? What preparation is involved? And what do you recommend would be the best wildlife flower seed packs? Thank you. Good morning, Sean. Yeah, that's a, that's a lovely project to have uh, to undertake. So wildflower is great to use. You can start sowing them, I suppose, 
there's two times usually people sow them either in spring so around about March when the soil starts to warm up or else maybe uh, autumn around October um, so if you're keen to get it started in the springtime the the groundwork or the preparation is um, mostly to eliminate um, anything that might compete with your wildflower seeds so if there's existing grass or weeds and I would I would um, suspect Sean that on a half acre area there's pr- probably plenty of grass and weeds there you need to remove all those get rid of those um, some people then would dig the ground over and what digging the ground over will do it'll bring some dormant weed seeds up to the surface I'd allow them to germinate and then remove those guys and that process is called creating a stale seed bed so that the only seeds that are going to germinate after you go through that process is your own wildflower seeds so eliminating all the competition, getting rid of the existing grass or any strong weeds, digging the soil over, allow the next crop of weeds to germinate and remove those, either physically remove them or spray them or whatever method you you decide to use, Sean. So getting rid of all the competition. Sometimes people would even remove a small layer of the topsoil to leave slightly poorer soil that's underneath and the wildflower seeds can do better on poor soil. Uh, Again, you just want to make sure you're eliminating any established weeds or anything that might compete with them. And then there's loads of different varieties you can choose for. Some will be kind of um, geared up that they might be particularly beneficial for ladybirds or for for bees or for um for birds or whatever so you can you can look for a, a few different mixes some are, are kind of a general mix and they might have we we'll say mostly short flowers or they might have a color scheme maybe a cool pastel blue and white theme so there's loads of different varieties to choose from and i'd say a lot of it would be down to your own personal choice but certainly does you could you can by all means you could do a nice mix and a nice blend um but uh, I think it'd be a lovely project to undertake. And you can imagine that uh, with a half acre of, of ground, if there was a nice mix of wildflower seeds, it'd be fantastic. Some people would also add in um, the likes of bulbs that might be kind of particularly bee friendly. So you could look at in the autumn, planting some of your spring flowering bulbs. And also in spring, you could, and from March or April onwards, you might consider planting some of the summer flowering bulbs. So you could do a mixture between your wildflower seeds and some bulbs and even a few kind of... Um, bee-friendly plants, even anything from, from cat mint or lavender or anything that would be particularly good for, for bees or other um, beneficial insects, you could do that. You're not just depending on the seeds alone, Sean. So certainly it'd be a lovely project to undertake. And between a mixture of your wildflower seeds and some perennial plants and some bulbs, you could have a real uh, haven for wildlife. And I, I think it would look class. And so certainly, yeah, it'd be, it'd be a great project to undertake. Best of luck with that one, Sean. Teresa in West Clare says she has a hydrangea pan pinky win, which she purchased at Keynes Garden Centre. Uh, Teresa says she has it planted in a large pot since last year. There are deadheads on it. Should I leave them on until spring? She's wondering. Morning, Teresa. Yeah, the hydrangea pinky winky, they're class. So they're the, what we call the paniculata varieties. And you can cut them, you know, maybe like uh, eight or 10 inches from the ground, 10 or 12 inches maybe from the ground. Usually that's done in, in next month, February or March. So you could leave those dead flower heads on for the moment, but you can, unlike your other type of hydrangeas, they prefer to, the mop head ones or the lace cap, they prefer to be cut once the buds start to emerge. So you don't cut them back too hard. But uh, if it's a, uh, hydrangea paniculata and I think that variety you said uh, Pinky Winky is, is one of those you can cut it right down to 10 or 12 inches from the ground and it'll it'll put on extra growth for you this year usually done around February or March Teresa so yeah you've something to look forward to there 
Hi Alan, says Anne in Milltown. Can you please ask Tom? I have an indoor camellia, lots of lovely red flowers, but they just seem to fall off before they open. Why does this happen? I have an outdoor one as well and it is thriving this year after waiting three years. Thank you for your help. Good morning to you, Anne. Yeah, and good question. So, and and, and again, timely with our, with our chosen subject today. So, um, I think perhaps it has been given to you as an indoor camellia, but in, in my own experience, all camellias are happy to be outside. So it could be that the, the warm environment of the indoor um, nature, it probably mightn't suit it and it might be causing the, the flower buds to fall off a bit earlier. And as you said, your outdoor one is thriving. So if it's a very cold room or unheated room inside, perhaps that's okay. But I think generally your camellia will be better outside in those kind of maybe slightly um, sheltered and slightly um, maybe a little bit of dappled shade, not too much sunlight. Um, but I, I would be considering, and you might just want to graduate it to to outdoor conditions, maybe uh, bring it out during the day and back in at nighttime just for one or two nights, just to customise it with the outdoor environment. But I think... Um, and your your camellia would probably do a little bit better if it was outside. Again, the usual stuff, a small bit of the um, the ericaceous feed and making sure it's not allowed to dry out too much in your in your um, in, in the pot. You could consider potting it on into a slightly bigger pot um, using the ericaceous compost. But I think and overall it'll probably be happier in a cooler or outdoor conditions. Hi Tom, says Brona. What's the best early tomato to sow? Uh, mine are always so late, says Brona. Thanks and love the show. Thank you, Brona. No, thank you very much, Brona. Yeah, um, I suppose one of my own favourites is something like Gardener's Delight, which is a is a small kind of cherry tomato. It's really nice, um, and I think the the cherry varieties will probably be. Um, that bit quicker to ripen. Um, you can buy them as seeds and, and lots of people do buy them that way. You can also consider um, buying them uh, as plants, as seedlings that have already been started off. And again, I think it's probably late March, early April when they, those tomato plants become available. Um, Again, if you if you're keeping them, if you're growing them outside, you certainly need a, a real sunny a sun trap and somewhere nice and warm to to speed up the ripening process. More so, people are growing them indoors. So perhaps um, Brona, if you're growing yours in a polytunnel or glass house, something like Gardener's Delight or Sun Gold or Sun Baby, some of those smaller cherry varieties would probably be a bit quicker to ripen. So uh, yeah, l- lovely to grow and the, the flavour from your own homegrown tomatoes. Are, are excellent but I'd probably consider some of the smaller cherry ones and uh, they'd be that little bit uh, quicker to ripen Okay and time for one final question which comes from Claire Maloney and Kildicer how are you Claire? Claire is wondering Tom would now be a good time to transfer holly and white thorn shrubs from one area to another Good morning to you Claire yeah now would be a, an ideal time um the plants will be somewhat dormant certainly the white thorn will be, will be plenty dormant the holly being evergreen um it'll always have a little bit of life in it. But again, it, it's probably at its most dormant. So if soil conditions are good, Claire, as long as the soil isn't really wet and and, um, and and a bit waterlogged, because if you were to dig up and waterlogged soil, you'd damage the soil structure. So um, I would avoid doing that. But in terms of time of the year, January or February is fine. Just just check soil conditions are suitable for working, that they're, they're not, as I said, waterlogged in particular. Uh, and obviously it's not advised to dig ground that's frozen so again it's it's due to the fact that you would damage the soil structure and the plant going into into its new area with damaged soil structure uh, you're giving it a bit of a hindrance and, and you're not you're not giving it the best chance to survive so once the soil has become workable those plants the hollies and the white thorn perfect for moving no problem at all there 
OK, thank you so much, everybody. Lots of questions there, lots of brilliant answers and advice from Tom. Uh, the winners of our 2.30-year vouchers for Kings Garden Centre are Marie, who sent us in the voice note, and Theresa McDermott and her bonsai tree in Doombeg. So well done, Theresa and Marie, and thank you to everybody else who got in touch. And uh, well played as ever, uh, Mr Stewart. Uh, thank you so much for being with us, and we will chat to you again next Monday.